Uh. <laughs> get together, have a few laughs. Uh oh, shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Lady, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your side across the freaking street and say that until we get you. Hello, and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Kendrick Martin. And I'm Josh Carter. Today, we're going to be covering Hostage, directed by Florent Emilio Siri, written by Doug Richardson, based on Hostage, the novel by Robert Crace. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do here is an in-depth breakdown of a movie starring Bruce Willis, both from a film perspective and his individual contribution. We'll add the movie to our rankings, talk, trivia, and do the Wheel of Willis. You can always find our previous episodes over at williswaypod.com. You can also find other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network at lastoftheactionheroes.com. Thank you to everyone out there who supports this podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can head on over to anchor.fm slash willis-way. Your support is crucial for making sure that your boys find their way through the Willis, uh, I think is the correct marketing term there the, the willisness mm-hmm. yep if you want to support us for free the best way you you can do that is to head on over to apple podcasts or spotify or your local newspaper and leave us a rating and a review <laughs> i would actually love if somebody wrote us up in like you know some small town oregon newspaper or something so if mm-hmm. you're out there listening and you live in like newport or Manzanita, and you're like, man, I've been meaning to write in to my newspaper. Uh, Well, here's a topic to write in. So that's me asking you to do that for us. Should everybody go listen to our Bandits episode then, since that one takes place mostly in Oregon? Oh, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And obviously all of our episodes are grown in Oregon, so Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, Kendrick and I go make sure to water it for a while and Make sure it gets lots of sun and then um, pluck it when it's ripe and prune it back in the fall. I can tell you're definitely a man who grows things. <laughs> Listen, I already grew up. That is pretty much the amount of growing that I'm expected to do at any point, except sideways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Hey, a little Lord of the Rings reference for you. Nice. Yeah. All right. Before we dive into discussing this movie, we kind of want to give you guys an idea on if this movie is worth watching. We are, after all, the number one experts, trusted experts on Bruce Willis in the nation, the world, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. possibly the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's safe to say that not every Bruce Willis movie is, you know, the toppest of tiers, but that's why we're here to kind of guide you through that. So Kendrick... And I came up with a fail-proof rating system called mm-hmm. the Bruce Willis rating system. Um, <laughs> and it that that's what we've been calling it this whole time. So it's perfect that I'm saying that now. Um, and then we'll rate a movie a certain amount of letters. Um, not, not the A rating system or the B rating system. This is a whole new system. So we give it a certain number of letters based on Bruce Willis's name to determine whether or not we would recommend it. If it gets over a Bruce... That means we recommend it and you should go watch it. 
And then the more letters after Bruce we give it, the more gusto with which we recommend the movie. And under Bruce, we don't typically recommend you go out and seek out that movie. So with all of that said, Kendrick, what would you rate this movie? I would give the movie Hostage a straight Bruce. A straight Bruce. Straight Bruce. Straight Bruce. Yeah, I think I'm going to give this movie a Bruce W because I think that I'm just over the edge of watching it. But it's like a if it's on cable, don't turn it off. You might be you might be in for some fun times, um, but maybe maybe don't go out of your way to seek it out. If it's so on cable, space. don't turn it off. You're really speaking to the people who are out here living in 2002. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm speaking to the the people of the time. I'm oh, speaking to yeah. the, the people of 2005. 2005, right? Yeah. When you know the best Marvel thing that's ever come out is Spider-Man 2, unlike <laughs> now where the best Marvel thing that's ever come out is Spider-Man 2. So, yikes, Josh. <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right well this is not a marvel bashing podcast <laughs> um although no promises somebody so, hates the fantastic four franchise oh my god don't even get me started don't even get me started on that oh man more like chris un evans throughout that movie I, uh, uh, uh no, he's not even the biggest problem with that movie. Anyway, <laughs> um, fun fun fact though, did I tell you that I got to um, uh, in one of my lectures for a film class, I got to sit in with one of the co-writers of the second Fantastic Four movie, like the the sequel or the second? Didn't they oh, get a reboot? Good question. It's actually the third Fantastic Four movie, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. it's the okay. sequel to the uh, the one with um, Chris Evans and um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Whatever the fuck, everybody else. That one came out like. in two thousand and eight, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I was like listening to this guy give a guest lecture, and we got to ask him a bunch of questions afterwards. But he's like, "Yeah, I'm not like officially credited on the writing team because that's not really how writing works typically in Hollywood. You have to write like." there's all sorts of different rights things to work out and stuff like that. But he basically yeah, co-wrote it. Screenwriting credits are really wild in the whole, like there's, I think a movie can only have two or three screenwriters. And mm-hmm. it, uh, even if like a bunch of people work on it, you're not credited. Yeah. You have to, and it's like based on who does what and who, who does, who rewrites them or who wrote the most like words, but also who wrote it first. So it's wild. What goes into the screenwriting credit? Yeah. Um, did this guy do anything else or was his claim to fame just one old fantastic four movie? And now he's so, doing college lectures. <laughs> so yeah, he did a bunch of other stuff too. And I I'm blanking on um, the other stuff that he did, but he was basically like the guy who's the credited screenwriters uh, theater instructor back when he was in high school and then this guy was like oh i really like writing things and then finally got into like writing a hollywood thing and his first big break was writing this fantastic four movie so he kept going back to this um this high school uh teacher 
during the high school teachers like free periods and then working on the story with him for the fantastic four sequel <laughs> like in the school cafeteria or in his office or whatever and then being like okay uh i gotta go teach some kids and then now this uh this ex-teacher he um works for that screenwriter on the team of like script doctors so he uh he does that sort of stuff now but he's a he's like a big picture story guy not like a moment to moment dialogue person and he had a lot of feedback on the way that the studio system did that movie because it was one of those things where it came out after batman begins and batman begins had three villains and so every single studio was like we have to have three villains in our movie (laughs) that's what made batman begins successful because studio executives just are looking at a, a chart of like cells of data they're not actually sometimes i art. think studio execs might just be robots and they just yeah. look at like the mathematical formula of a movie and they're like oh yeah must reproduce this yeah they're like robert danny jr earned many millions of dollars pay him millions of dollars earn millions of dollars burp, 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 burp. and then another another fucking avengers movie comes out so all right, I need to stop with the anti-Marvel hate. Um, I love Marvel movies so much. They're so good. Speaking of hate, uh, we do have an email. Oh, read. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Josh, you want to read this email? Yes, yes, I do. Um, this email is from Nathan, and the subject line is, What's up, motherfuckers? Um, but I will say that it doesn't have any punctuation, so it is, What's up, motherfuckers? Um I'm trying to say that without a, <laughs> a punctuation. What is up, motherfuckers? Um, what is up, motherfuckers? I, I'm so, I'm at a loss. Uh, anyways, the email continues. It's me, ya boy, uh, spelled B-O-I. Uh, Chekhov in the original series was played by Walter... Walter Koenig? I think it's Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig. And then he says, I also disagree with your take on Back to the Future. Marty McFly is overcompensating with the chicken line because he used to be a pushover. But that's a minor part of the episode. So feel free to leave the second part of this paragraph out. And then he says, smell you later. I don't remember us talking about Marty McFly. Could you remind me? I think that I said that it was kind of one of those things where sequels are sort of adding to the original stuff that wasn't in the original and the change from Marty McFly being the side character in back to the future and George McFly being the main character to Marty McFly being the main character in the two sequels, they kind of had to make some differences. And one of those things was making the the chicken line. uh, I see a big thing. I see. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nathan, for that email. Yeah, thank you. If um, you want to send us an email, you can email us at willswaypod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at willswaypod, including TikTok. I know Josh, oh, yeah. has, jo- Josh has joshed joshed us many times about us having a TikTok, but now it's not joshing. It's for real. Yeah, we had to go create one before somebody else fucking created it with our name, so... Mm-hmm. We didn't want to get movie passed out there. Uh, what did you hear about that? Where like some guy created an account just called Movie Pass, and then 
he was just it's his personal account that he's just running for non-movie pass related things because movie pass didn't exist oh on tiktok yeah and then when movie pass oh. came back they're like hey we want this thing and he's like nah gtfo oh. <laughs> he should have just been like give me a free lifetime subscription to movie pass please <laughs> give me um, free unlimited movies for the rest of my life yeah <laughs> until um, that movie pass goes away and then he has to negotiate with the next movie pass ceo yeah we were afraid of someone trying to negotiate us out of our willis bucks yep yeah which it's not gonna happen you can pry my willis bucks for my cold dead fingers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah but we have a tiktok we have dozens of views tens of dozens of views <laughs> actually uh on our videos and we also post those videos up on youtube you can find video clips of our episodes and yep you can also find our discord uh the link to join the discord is in our show notes that is correct that is correct um one quick thing about our tiktok we are but we babes as far as tiktok goes Um, but we babes but we are but we babes um we are but we babes. We are but we babes. And the more you say it, the more I'm <laughs> confused. Keep going. Dig this hole even further. Um, so yeah, uh Kendrick and I are not uh TikTok uh Michelangelo's, um, as the kids say. So if you I have think any... they say but we babes though. <laughs> so if you have any any wonderful ideas for some TikToks that you would love to see us do. Let us know. Um, Kendrick and I have a couple of ideas floating around. We just got to get together and uh, get to filming and get to producing and then get to uploading and then get to mm-hmm. getting to you. the benefits. Yeah. yeah getting to you. Yeah. All those Willis bucks are just waiting for us. Oh, they are. <laughs> all right. Before we get into hostage, we're going to take a short break. And now we're going to get into hostage. We say we rename today Low Crime Tuesday. That's right. Tommy! Tommy!
point on, you control what happens to them. This is my jurisdiction. I'm reassuming command. You don't give orders to my men. You're done. I want to see my family finish the job while your family is dead. That audio was from the trailer of Hostage. I'm going to read the description from IMDb. When a family is held hostage, former hostage negotiator Jeff Talley arrives at the scene. Talley's own family is kidnapped and must decide which is more important, saving a family he doesn't even know or saving his own family. And you can find this movie for rent on VOD. So, Joshua. Yeah, what's up? Tell me what your thoughts on Hostage are. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. Um, First off, I will say I haven't read the book yet. So Mm. if somebody says to me, "Um, Mr. Josh, all of your problems with the the, the movie are fixed by the book. Well, I don't care. (laughs) Should have put it in the fucking movie. So I'm going to complain about the movie um or praise the movie uh not at all talking about the the book um and i'm assuming it's the same for you kendrick you didn't yeah i'm not on me either okay no perfect perfect um yeah so the movie starts out at like an 11 um it has one of the best opening credit sequences i've ever seen followed by a near perfect genre opener for setting kind of bruce willis's character in motion his motivations um the type of movie that it's going to be the um expectations for the audience and everything like that and then it takes a a long ass time setting up the rest of the movie like the description that we read doesn't really come into play until like 45 minutes into the movie and that's a little bit of a bummer um that's a little bit of a bummer so there were parts about this movie that I really liked but the um script i think is probably one of the weakest elements of the movie but pretty much everything else of the movie was kind of banging i thought what about you uh i agree on a lot of what you said the opening credits are wild uh i i meant to look up who designed the opening credits who was credited with the opening credits as it were but i did not but yeah um and and the closing credits um we're both like very visually stylized and actually that's kind of what was weird about this movie was it's as if two competing forces were fighting each other to make this movie someone like the scriptwriter and the, and then like the director or or uh you know cinematographer whoever was like more focused on the visual aspect because visually this movie feels like it's trying to do something um, and like take this story to kind of another level. But from a story perspective, it is a very paint by the numbers Mm -hmm. sort of story. And that's the going back and forth that I found most confusing. If this movie had just kind of focused on being like a uh, thriller um action movie i think i would have been able to just kind of like eat some popcorn drink some coca-cola and be like all right but i kept being really distracted and wowed by some of the visuals and unsettled by some of the like stylistic choices and i think 
the choices were made to unsettle you. But then the writing, like you said, it was, I was, the plot seemed so shallow and so confusing in parts. And I'm like, did I miss something? There's a lot of setups to, I think some deeper things. And I'm, I'm wondering like, what was the purpose of this? Um, so I know the filmmaker is uh, French, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff. He's did he's worked on according to Wikipedia, he had worked on some uh Splinter Cell uh cutscenes, um, which makes sense because Splinter Cell uh is an Ubisoft game, I believe, which is mm-hmm. like a French French studio. And so that would make sense. And also I think stylistically what he's doing here would work well in a video game cutscene. Um but yeah, let's just take the opening scene. So the, the movie opens with Bruce Willis as a hostage negotiator in what appears to be L.A. Um, and he's trying to talk down a guy who is holding, uh, I think we're led to believe, like his wife and son hostage or, or woman and small child hostage in a house. And Bruce Willis is trying to talk down this guy and he basically convinces the police snipers not to kill him because he wants to try to save everybody. And then the guy ends up killing himself and his wife and kid in a very graphic, like you don't normally see child death on screen. And I was surprised that they showed like this kid uh, right from the get go, a bloody child dying in the arms of Bruce Willis, Um, which we'll talk about Bruce Willis's acting at, at the end of this, but Bruce Willis is like acting his heart out. And I think that's another thing that is a little jarring is this movie is wants like script. I think needs a more campy action heroy level vibe, but Bruce Willis is like playing emotions to the, to 11 in a lot of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, a f- funny side note. So uh, I watched this movie. We both, we both watched this movie on rented on YouTube. And I don't know if you watched it with uh, closed captions turned on. Mm-mm. I turned closed captions on and the opening opening credits, like we said, uh, are very stylistically interesting and beautiful. And like a lot of kind of animated flying through um, kind of a 3d render of, of uh, people in tactical gear kind of, uh, in, in what appears to be like a hostage negotiation situation on kind of rooftops and um, exactly what you would think of for an action movie. And this, I turned the subtitles on and they're uh, showing words. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe this is like lyrics to the music or something that I can't hear. I was like confused as to what the words are. And then the movie starts. And at first, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, talking it's just some like visuals of like kind of swooping over the city but the words are something about how uh, a kid is asking his mom to go play in a park across the street and and uh the mom is like no it's too cold outside and the kid's like but i i get to play in the summertime why can't i play in the fall and i'm like what the heck why can't i hear anything and i was like confused about the audio and then the actual audio starts and i was like oh this is not the right uh, closed captions oh, at all subtitle track. and i was just like wow this is an entirely different movies closed captions it was very bizarre i'd never <laughs> seen i'd seen bad subtitles where they don't where it's like they're wrong but i'd never seen just completely the wrong movie subtitles that um, is crazy so that was i was like what on earth and then i was thinking like maybe they're off sync and so i expected like 
to flashback to a kid trying to go to the park or something. Nope, never happened. Um, Weird. Yeah, funny story. Did you keep them on or did you turn them off? No, I just turned them off. They're too distracting. I would be very, very interested to see if there's any point in the movie that they line up. I sh- yeah, like I should have turned them back. Character on says point, yes but... at some point or something. <laughs> no, um, it's wild. Another funny note about the opening bit is, uh, according to IMDb trivia, um, the Bruce Willis's hair is a quote unquote realistic wig for this scene, but the beard is all his. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall thinking that that hair was like especially realistic. I just loved how the IMDb trivia was like focusing on the realism of the wig. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, he does have a really wild beard. Uh, he, he looks like a very grizzled man at the beginning. He, he looks he looks pretty awesome at the beginning. He also looks a little bit like my one of my professors at um, college. And I'll send you the picture in the um, <laughs> the chat. But oh, yeah, I can kind of see it. Um, it's very strange. <laughs> but here, even in this opening scene is sort of like what I'm talking about, because the Bruce Willis character we're introduced to uh, Tally, Jeff Tally, I think is his, mm-hmm. name, his character's name. Um, he seems world weary and uh, like he cares about his job, but he's also like there's a lot of subtext here. Mm-hmm. and uh, we're thrown right into this. And basically the, the way the story goes is um, after this death of these um, hostages, he it cuts to a year later and he's serving as like police chief in a small town in kind of like semi-rural uh, California. And um, while we never explicitly go back to talk about this, scene uh it's implied that you know it sort of took his toll on him and he switched switched jobs because of this but not only do we not even reference this we never even reference like his career before this scene because i feel like uh they created a character who you're expecting to like have a long relationship and maybe have been like fighting the politics and there's a a lot of like deep-seated feelings from this character that were presented that are just sort of like well that's a we're gonna move on and that was a complex character that we created and we'll never talk about again mm-hmm. um i just, mean in that way it feels kind of like a video game opening cutscene, right where like you paint the character and everything and then you're like all right now you get to play as the character yeah. yeah and then yeah that's true it um it is uh yeah an interesting choice but anything else you want to say on that opening scene before we move on to the the beef of the episode um no 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 i think i think i'm good the stuff that i want to talk about with that opening scene we'll bring up later during later point um yeah and then the 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 rest of the movie is essentially um uh we see kevin pollock for the third time Yep, it's second time in a row. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We just had in the last movie. Um, I was actually wondering, and I don't know. I tried to look this up, and there's not really like a way to look this up. But who do you think the most uh, often co-star with Bruce Willis is? Um, it's probably like some un like some stunt actor who has like one line. Okay, get off me. (laughs) Yeah, maybe or something like that. But but... there's a way we could find out like most common speaking role partner with Bruce Willis. Cause right now, Kevin Pollack is up to three. 
and he's got one more because he's in cop out oh yeah right yeah yeah so yeah four um so i'm curious like what other options uh yeah because i don't think anybody in die hard carries forward more than two movies right yeah i don't i don't really think so like there might be like some flashbacks some stuff like that but i don't know i don't i don't think many of the characters really reappear yeah and that sam jackson Uh, character definitely does not like he's in one movie (laughs) yeah and then that's it um but then the so the rest of this movie is essentially you have these uh three guys take kevin pollock's family hostage in their house and bruce willis has to uh is is you know the police force of the town and then um we find out that bruce willis's family was kidnapped by a kind of unknown unnamed third party who was working with kevin pollack and they had some secretive information that they need to get out of the house and that's where the plot started to fall apart for me because (laughs) i never once believed that like at the end of the movie spoiler for the end of the movie the house burns down but at the beginning of the movie there's nothing that would lead lead you to believe that the house is going to get destroyed and if you're like oh, our information is encrypted on a secret DVD in this house. Like, what person wouldn't go, I'm going to wait for it to end because even if they die, we'll just send someone in to buy all the crap and then it's on one of the DVDs and we'll find... Like, it doesn't ever make sense why they need to get it out that very minute. And I don't think the movie wanted to explain... This is kind of my issue with the plot or the story was the movie never wanted to spend the time explaining the reasons for why people were doing things. They just wanted to create these sort of setups. Um, Like we wanted, we needed Bruce Willis to have like an emotional reason to try to save this family. Even though I don't think, I think his family helped, but I, I think we, his backstory would have been enough. Like he cares about hostages. He cares about kids. Yeah. He obviously was impacted by that kid dying. We don't need his family also caught to, give him a driving force it just added more confusion it really did and it slowed the movie down a lot too it really hurt the pacing because the the movie is starting to really amp up speed and then you have to take time out of your day to like get bruce willis his coffee and then like oh i'm gonna be home soon baby and then like (laughs) the next scene it's like oh no they're captured and then then like the movie goes back to what it was five minutes ago it's just now that there's extra stakes but we don't really get to know Bruce Willis's family that much in this movie. So I didn't really give a fuck more than I had given previously. So yeah, I totally agree. It probably wasn't needed. They probably could have made it work just without his family being captured. Um, But I wonder if that's like a central part of the book. And so then the screenwriter Doug is like, Oh, I got to include that. And then it just stuck. But yeah, I totally agree. It wasn't needed at all. Maybe, but so not only do we not need that, from like a Bruce Willis's character motivation perspective, we, the people who are holding the family hostage don't know anything about his crime connections. Mm -hmm. So they don't care about the real reason. Like they don't care about the secret information hidden on a DVD. So, you know, if they had, if they had cared and like they were working, they, they targeted them because of that. 
like the story would have tied together even better, but they were mm-hmm. just targeting them because they were psychopaths who saw, you know, a rich family with the daughter that that one guy um, was after. And it, uh, it, it just felt like very disjointed, but then <laughs> each of the individual, like, like I already mentioned, Bruce Willis played like extremely emotionally distraught, person trying to save both his family and this kid you also have the villains the like true villains uh playing like the most extreme depictions of psychopaths i think we'd seen in a bruce willis movie like Mm -hmm. really taking it it deep in in uh like languishing in watching people die Mm -hmm. in like loving violence I was like very disturbed by some of what, yeah, uh, some of that performance. Yeah, I think that it sort of it was pretty disturbing, but then it kind of came together for me at the end when it the movie kind of takes like a slashery turn, and I think that that works pretty well because then it's like, oh, okay, I get what this movie is now. Um, before that, it's just it is just like really, really creepy and unsettling. So yeah, yeah. totally agree. Yeah, I definitely got like slasher vibes at the by the end of this movie. Oh yeah. Um this movie comes out in 2005, I think, which is yep. not long after Panic Room. Panic Room I, th- I think was 2002. Panic Room and, at the Disco. Yep, Panic Room at the Disco, exactly. Yeah. And it uh I think it was definitely an era of rich people with kind of complex houses. I also got a lot of diehard vibes. I mean the vents are obvious but oh yeah um, it's like a reverse diehard where bruce willis is playing the cop on the outside <laughs> secretly talking That's to funny. the kid who's sneaking around uh you know a, a house or like a bunch of hostages yeah um the more i say it out loud it is exactly like a reverse diehard that's so fucking funny um, <laughs> uh yeah so yeah. that's that's kind of a wild connection but um, yeah I I don't know what you thought about this, but I was like pretty torn on the whole kid thing. Like I felt like they maybe focused on him just a little bit too much because he is just playing like a regular kid and talking like video games and shit with Bruce Willis's character. And then, um, you know, like being like, oh, I always explore these air ducts that my house has or whatever. And. I felt like the the tension just got like ratcheted way down whenever he was on screen, except for the one or two times where it was kind of a close call. But for the most part, I was just kind of like, "Hody hum, get back to the interesting stuff, please." <laughs> well, again, I, I, f- because this movie did not choose to go, uh, campy action, or like deep kind of well drawn out thriller we're stuck with kind of hints at things but then it's never really fleshed out more so for example with this kid we see his relationship with his dad is a little strained and his dad is very particular about things and uh you know they have that opening conversation where he's like what's this attached to my head and he's like a phone and um <laughs> that's pretty decent kevin pollock by the way <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that you can tell that the kid you know that kid we don't know anything about that kid's life um 
His yeah. mom died. Very sad. Off but screen. Mentioned I could totally lines. see a little bit of a like his he probably doesn't have any friends. He probably doesn't get to leave his house very often. Mm-hmm. They don't live close to town. Um, his dad is obviously extremely security conscious. And so he probably and they don't have any staff or anything. So he's probably has a lot of time in his house to himself. Um, and so, yes, he probably I would totally believe that he's like always in those air vents doing weird stuff and mm-hmm. dropping in on his, you know, family unsuspecting from, from the roof. Um, <laughs> but we're never really shown any of that. And yeah. it is like strange that. uh, Like the pacing just really changes depending on oh we're having a conversation in an ambulance oh we're talking to this kid oh there's this crazy psychopath who is potentially gonna kill someone yeah like it's just as like very unusual yeah Um, i wonder if it would have worked better kind of doing like a quentin tarantino stylized like chapter thing where it's like chapter one's kind of the opening and then chapter two it's like you show the uh, bad guys breaking in and then you kind of go back in time and set up the family a little bit more and then you cut to the present and then it just plays out Mm -hmm. so that you can kind of like keep the tension up but then still get that that get to know the family because i totally feel you i did not get to know the family at all i got to know kevin pollock's character and then they make the biggest fucking mistake of the movie which is knocking him out for 75 percent of the runtime yeah um, God damn! <laughs> I've, I I was like, where? What happened to him? Because I because in movies when you get knocked out, you're not knocked out for long. You're knocked yeah. out for you know <laughs> five screen minutes, and then you're like sitting there with ice on your head or whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. Or the classic James Bond, you get knocked out and then you're in a new location. Like, <laughs> yep. That would yep. that would have been that would be interesting to do a chapter model where um, they could show different chapters happening concurrently, yeah. so that we could focus entirely on like the Bruce Willis uh, as a police officer and you don't know what's going on inside the house. You just see all from Bruce Willis perspective. And yeah. then you see chapter three is like only from inside the house. And then chapter, you know, that would be yeah. uh, a cool way to do it. And I think would have probably fixed a lot of these issues though. I'm not a filmmaker, but I yeah. sure <laughs> think I know a lot. I sure watch movies. Yep. <laughs> I'm a film watcher. Oh yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, one other, this this wasn't really like a major thing, but it just was like a nitpick that sort of launched me into this movie right away. Was for a house that was as such security focused as this house, no one was paying attention to the security cameras, and there was like no motion, There's no alarm. alarms. Like I it's know. the middle of the day, and they're all jumping over the wall right in the view of the cameras, and they're all walking through the yard right in the view of the cameras walking through the garage again on the view of the cameras (laughs) and we the viewer are just like watching the camera footage from behind kevin pollock's head and i'm like what is the point of these cameras that no one apparently watches Mm -hmm. um but i don't know again it's weird because i assume this is probably sort of accurate in the early 2000s when home security became a little more um like found in houses that a lot of rich people probably did set up home security systems like this with like aspirations of, of, you know, having a panic room and needing to secure themselves from some sort of faceless villain. 
uh, and then probably never looked at their security cameras. So yeah, it's probably accurate, but yeah. it just like didn't make a lot of sense. And I was just like, what is what is the point of all this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was going mean, to say I have security cameras in my work and I'm not like watching those 100 percent of the time because it's not like my job. I'm not a security camera footage watcher, but. It's just like yeah. up in the office. So and and you're right. A lot of that. security camera footage is used for uh like historical stuff. Like yeah. after a break in, you're like, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, how did how did this happen? Um But it just and they have like all the alarms and the break and the lockdown, you know, silent alarms and lockdown. Yeah, I don't I don't know why stuff. they didn't have any motion alarms. That was that was a big question that I had while watching it. I think they they could have easily again here we are you know reca- redoing this movie in our better vision but they yeah. could have just had a security guy like some sort of staff that gets killed right away yeah but at least then it would have made a like a little more sense as to why they have all that security stuff if they just yeah. had like kind of like a you know old fogey watching the cameras and he's like uh oh and he hits a silent alarm button and then gets shot or something mm-hmm. um this movie has a lot of on-screen deaths already. Uh, the um, cop that dies at the gate was like extremely graphic and sort of surprising because I think that's the first like um, full on-screen death were shown. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the movie, uh, I actually don't feel like there's that many deaths. I feel like there's maybe twelve or something like that. I think I read that there is fifteen. People oh, okay. killed on screen and 16 if you count the dog. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but yeah, uh, most of it I think is all at the end when um, that mm-hmm. guy is killing all the fake FBI agents. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you have anything else you want to say, or we can talk about the ending? Um, I have like a lot of logic problems with the movie, but we can just talk about those all at once when we get there. <laughs> so yeah, we can we can probably jump to the ending. So the ending of this movie, uh, our main psychopath man has killed his. Uh, <laughs> I thought the scene where he kills his two like comrades was kind of comic, but also like jarringly violent. In the he, like, he pushes that one guy off the, the oh, ledge. Yeah, I forgot about them and he doesn't die right away he dies slowly mm-hmm. unusual in a you know action movie to watch someone slowly die from head trauma uh and his brother is like oh you've been shot by the he thinks the cop shot him through the window mm-hmm. and he's freaking out and then the guy is like i'm taking care of things and then he shoots that guy and again he also dies slowly which i i think is supposed to you know that the one guy loves watching people die or like gets off watching people die so i think that plays into that, but um, the slow deaths happen several times in this, and they are very unsettling. Yes, yep, extremely, extremely. That one sequence uh, where the the cop responds to the security camera, yeah, the security alarm yeah. thing, and then gets shot. Yeah. I'm so glad that they did not show that in the trailer. Like they hint that that's happening, but the uh, the death itself is very, very visceral. Yeah, yeah. Um. And then from there, he, as as the F, as the fake FBI or or whatever they are, sort of break in, and Bruce Willis comes in to try to save the kids and everything. He starts burning the house down with his like homemade Molotov cocktails. 
Um, I also was wondering why there was no sprinkler system in this giant house. Um, that's that's one of the big logic complaints in this movie. <laughs> my, you know, minor complaint, but uh, a lot more. This is where it goes. This is where it switches to like slasher mm-hmm. horror thriller because uh, he's like hiding in vents and hiding around corners and um, consistently getting shot more and more and covered in blood. And um, then the movie ends with him dropping like a Molotov cocktail on himself. And apparently the director wanted to make this even more viscerally, viscerally graphic and have like his flesh melting off of his body. But the studio was like, no, that's too much. So there, there <laughs> was a line. There was a line, but they pushed pretty close to it. Uh, oh, man. But again, so another weird choice this movie made. I was getting like a lot of weird imagery was used in that final scene. So the daughter is sort of made out to look like a Madonna figure because she has that like wet towel over her head. Oh yeah. Uh, she's like watching in kind of like shock and sadness and and like, it's very, and they just keep cutting to her and she definitely looks like a Madonna figure Uh and then they cut back to that guy and it's just like very slow. Like he drops the thing and he catches him like self emulation. I'm just like, what choices are you making here? It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the big problem with that though, is that we didn't really get to know the three, um, hostage takers much and the movie would have really benefited from a like showing what like a chapter if we were to do this chapter idea mm-hmm. of showing kind of what their whole deal yeah. is um but yeah yeah since you mentioned it too uh my two other logic problems that i have with this movie um the kid breaks his hands free by cutting his hands on uh on glass from a bong and then proceeds to not have to worry about it for the rest of the movie. There's no bloody hands issue. He has it for one scene and then he crawls around air ducts and then puts his hands all over his grubby hands all over a bunch of stuff and there's no blood on anything. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, no, no sequence about him bandaging it up. The other problem that I have with this movie is that the end of the movie, um, there's a huge, huge fire. The house burns down, but it's presumably being watched from afar by the police even if they're not right there because the fake fbi gets called in to like Mm -hmm. go ahead and um do stuff but the police are like still there are they not they're out so there's like that wall that they're kind of like they're they're pushed back they're not like right up against the house but they're pushed back uh but yeah and then bruce willis and the kids and kevin pollock get out somehow well i don't think kevin pollock ever goes back in right Right, Kevin Pollock then, got out by the ambulance. Where does, where does Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis put these kids? Because the kids, are they even in that last sequence? Or are they just waiting in the ambulance? Oh, when you're, you're talking about when they go to the hotel to save Bruce Willis's family? Yeah, after the house is already burned down. So they somehow, the house burns down, and then this rogue ambulance just drives away, <laughs> like, off screen. Like, we don't ever see that, but I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, um... Again, I think the writing really fails us here. Yes. I think the um, because there's this interaction, Bruce Willis and the uh, ambulance driver have yeah. this like relationship where the ambulance driver is like, dude, we got to get this guy 
to a hospital. Uh-huh. And Bruce Willis is like, no, we got to give him some drugs to wake him up. And he's just like, right. He's <laughs> frantically rifling through all the stuff in the ambulance. And he, he, I don't think he ever explains the situation to the ambulance driver. Mm-mm. Like my family's being held hostage. We got to get some information out of this guy. Um, but somehow he convinces him to like wake him up for the information that they need. And so, um, I kind of just assumed that they sort of had like a, a understanding mm-hmm. and, you know, they probably drove away and dropped the, took the kids to the hospital and then just kept the ambulance and went to the hotel. <laughs> they probably um, did all this stuff off screen that makes a lot of sense logically. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I didn't really ever think about it though, but yeah. it was like the- glaring in my mind, that whole last sequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movie ends with um, Kevin Pollack and Bruce Willis go to this abandoned hotel and all the like mastermind bad guys in their face masks are there and uh, they have Bruce Willis's family hostage. Um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but his daughter played by his real life daughter, Rumor Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this moment when they're like, what are we going to do with Bruce Willis? Are we going to kill him? Are we going to kill his family? And Kevin Pollack is like, we have to kill him. He's seen my face. And then he's like, just kidding. I'm going to kill you all. And there's like a shootout. I was confused. Like I never once was like, oh, Kevin Pollack's going to turn on him. I was just like, what? What is going on here? What is This just was like a very awkward situation that felt like, an improv scene where they're like, we have 30 seconds left. We have to wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> how about we just shoot everybody and then we're done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I felt like Kevin Pollock living at the end was pretty unearned. Cause he's like walking out with his family and stuff. And it's like, Oh, Bruce Willis helped him out. And I'm like, nah, that guy should have fucking died. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, another question I had for you, and this uh-huh. is one of the things where I wasn't sure if I missed something, but was there a point to the two copies of Heaven Can Wait? Oh, so I think that there's just two versions of Heaven Can Wait, the movie, and the um, it was this whole bit for people who know about the movie and the fact that there's two of them. Um, so for people listening... Yes. Yeah. There's a uh, Kevin, 19... Kevin Pollock's character has like a massive DVD library and he hid some account information on a burned DVD in a DVD case for heaven can wait. And he tells his, or the son is told this and he's like, I got to go to the library and find the copy of heaven can wait. And he finds one. And then he's like, wait, there's two. Mm-hmm. And he gets the other one. And I was expecting like, you know, at the end where they hand the DVD off to the guy, uh, I was like, oh, they're just going to hand him one and it's going to be the wrong one. Mm-hmm. But nope, they handed him both. And then I'm like, well, maybe they kept the DVD. Nope, he opens it up. It's still in there. So I was like, what was the point of all this? Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that too because at the very beginning, those punks like throw a a burned CD out of the car window. And I was like, yeah. oh, Bruce Willis caught it and did a switcheroo. Nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> that, was, that was a Chekhov's oh, yeah. gun that never went off. It's like, hey, look at this cool gun. Anyways, rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah wow i forgot about that yeah yeah well that's what i was thinking the whole time i was like oh the cd's gonna come back and then no, yeah fucking come back at all 
um yeah so yeah two versions of heaven can wait though one made in 1943 one made in 1978 so so just... but there's no plot reason why there was two copies i do not believe so they could have they could have been like i put it in a star is born and there's four different versions of it out there <laughs> they're like whoop de doop de doop de doop like <laughs> create a whole um a whole what sort of genre of that is that movie where like everyone's mixing up the same color bags or whatever what's what are those called i'm the blanking same on it color bags like if you have like a bunch of characters and they're all doing like whoops a doozy sorts of getting things confused for other things like uh mark's brother movie oh shit no it's not a mark's brothers movie or like a three stooges fuck yeah it's that sort of a thing but it's like it's its own genre of confusing mismatch sort of things i know that i'm going to get an email about this if i don't fucking remember what this thing is called um well why you think about that uh (laughs) let's talk a little bit about bruce willis's particular performance in this movie so i mentioned it i mentioned it earlier um but i thought he uh screwball comedy oh screwball comedy yeah. Known for its whoopsie doozies and <laughs> same color bags. <laughs> I was just thinking of my favorite, which is What's Up Doc, which has a bunch of the same color bags come in to be very, very important at the end of the movie. Um, oh, amazing movie. movie. It has a uh, Barbara Streisand and Madeline Kahn and Kenneth Mars in it. So if that's not enough to make you watch it, I don't know what is. What wow. is? But yeah, it's a fucking banger of a movie. Anyways. Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis. Um, Bruce Willis really playing his heart out in this uh in this movie um especially at the end when he finds his family like he is extremely emotional Mm -hmm. and uh at the beginning like i said like his emotions were definitely all over the place i i feel like he's not playing yet his well-known bruce willis action character of sort of like I used to be a hardened bad guy or mm-hmm. you know, I used to be this hardened guy and now I'm living alone and I've called back in to save a family mm-hmm. and I'll soften up by the end. Like at the beginning, he's um, like showing his emotions and like dealing with, you know, death um, in a very visible way on screen. And that stays true through the whole movie. I There's some subtext about um, marital struggles with his wife uh that's never really dug into much but we're kind of led to understand that they're going through something but um Mm -hmm. he uh doesn't seem to be like he's sort of an accidental action star in this movie like he's not uh he's not one of the snipers i don't think he even kills anybody or or um he definitely does fired. at the end. Oh yeah, at the end in the in shootout. The, in the, in the shootout and but the, I don't remember um, if he does before that. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't, think, I don't think he like fires a gun or he. Oh yeah, he has that shotgun. Yeah, um, but, but he's mostly shotgun, using that to like bust open doors and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he's definitely more of like a protector, not like a gun firing um, guy through the whole movie. I have a clip on YouTube that I want to watch, and we're going to insert the audio. 
Well, let's talk about, let's, you know, I just brought up movies. Let's talk about the movie. Otage, hostage. Hostage, yeah. French, French. French. I'm, a, I'm a, a, a fool. I call it hostage. But, hostage. Uh, whatever you like, hostage. Hostage. Uh, this is, uh, I don't want to give anything away in this movie, but uh, this is an intense film. This is great action in this movie. It's a, it's a very interesting idea for a film. Um, the visual look in this film is amazing. It's very cool. Very film noir, very film noir, very uh, um, black film, if you don't speak French. Um, <laughs> film noir. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's um, it, it is intense. It's really, it's almost, you know what, almost too intense. Right, right. Almost a little too intense. Um, but it's yeah, it's a, we had a we had a good time uh, good time shooting it. My my uh, my uh, daughter Rumor, mm -hmm. my six year old daughter's in it with me, which was fun. Uh, this is the first time that she's been in a movie with you. She well with me, yeah. She right. worked with her mom in right. uh, striptease. Right. But there's nothing worse than. <laughs> <laughs> work is work, you know. <laughs> Works work. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, what do we need? I know we have a clip here from the film, but what do we, what do we need to know? Because it's a very complicated plot. I don't know how we set this up. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is where I'm... I'm there, there's some bad guys in the house. There, there's some uh, young bad guys in the house, and I'm, I have to actually save the bad guys' lives in order to save the, uh, the regular people's lives in the house. Um, right. And, and it's, it's, right. It's, it's complicated. It's really complicated. You have to... But uh, there's some bad guys in the house. You got to get in there. Uh, but uh, got to get in there. Got to save their lives in order to save some other people's lives, so I can save some other people's lives. Yes. You want to do the thing again? This lapping. Not in. So what I what I found funny about this audio clip is a Bruce Willis himself has a hard time describing the uh, <laughs> plot setup to this movie. Um, uh, but also I just think I look at this era of Bruce Willis and it's like peak Bruce Willis where he's uh, a well-known movie star. He's not being typecast as an action hero. He def he loves like his well-rounded comedic um, self and uh, is still like, you know, making action movies. Also, um, did he say his six-year-old daughter? Is that what he said? His six -year -old I thought he daughter? meant 16-year-old. Okay, I because the caption said six, and I heard six, and I was like, well, that's not right. But well, if he said it, he must have meant 16, because that wouldn't make okay. any sense. Yeah, 16 yeah. would would make sense. Um, yeah, I was like, wow, she has some city miles on her if she's six. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I had some of the, the close captions off for YouTube, which are really they winning in this uh episode but when he says film noir it just says speaking in french <laughs> can you imagine if every time i watched a film noir movie i was like oh, i watched a foreign <laughs> film <French movie." laughs> oh man That's um funny yeah, I thought that interview was really funny. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to say about Bruce Willis' performance in particular? Uh, no, I, I thought he was—I thought he was really, really solid, though. I, I cannot think over the rest of the Bruce Willis movies that we've watched. There's maybe a few that are close performance-wise. Like his—I would say that this is probably in like the top five or so Bruce Willis performances that we've seen so far. Yeah, I thought he was, I I thought he was really, really solid in it. And the rest of the movie just does not deserve him. Um, it's one of those movies where Bruce Willis is not 
he's not a it's not a the siege situation where he's kind of sinking it a little bit or just putting in a whole home performance he is really elevating this movie um well above what it what it deserves <laughs> in the script department um but yeah yeah I, I thought i thought he was just absolutely phenomenal um we love our boy bruce and we love it when he's having a good time clearly we stand a boy bruce uh, we do um okay let's talk about the box office for this movie sounds good sounds good so this movie um came out in 2005 our first movie from 2005 and it had a budget of 75 million dollars um of which bruce willis was a large amount um i have to look up what his paycheck was um one second you said the budget was 75 75 million though yeah that actually so we've talked a little bit uh while on this podcast about um how high movie budgets used to be in comparison to what they are today and what you're seeing on screen a lot of it to do with my opinion um we've moved away from like quote unquote hollywood movie stars that demand like a massive chunk of the budget um Mm -hmm. but 75 doesn't seem that unrealistic for this movie even in today's dollars um i'm sure it's way more in um with adjusted for inflation but it it we're we're it seems like we're moving a little closer to what i would expect from a movie from what i'm looking at um yeah yeah i'm having a hard time finding what his what his pay was but i know that it was a, a large chunk but yeah i agree i agree on those numbers so today in today's dollars quote unquote it would have been um about a hundred a hundred million dollars a little bit over but obviously like the way that we make movies now has changed a lot so that number would probably be a lot different but anyways um the movie was not a box office success it is as we've established earlier hard r so you have a cutoff in how you can market the movie and um what your total audience can be really pretty limited in that regard. And it only made $77.7 million at the box office. So if they spent zero marketing dollars, they would have only made $2 million on the movie, which is not ideal. And the critics didn't really love it either. It has a 35% on rotten tomatoes. So Mm. the, it doesn't, and the audience reviews, I didn't remember seeing that that was much higher. So I don't I don't really think it made kind of the splash that Miramax was hoping for. And Miramax obviously threw a huge chunk of money at this. Like it has the same budget that, you know, um, the Siege had and um, actually a higher budget than a lot of other action movies that are on this list. So, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Um. Yeah, from what I read, the uh, the um, audience reactions were pretty negative. And uh, there was like a Roger Ebert quote that the audience felt taken hostage by this kind of slow-paced movie. Um, it did feel long, but not overly so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about it. I just think the pacing really made this movie feel kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. I had to take a brief pee break, but I did not find it to be um, 
too long except for maybe in the middle a little bit but mm-hmm. at the end yep. i wasn't like oh thank god it's over yep. Um, yep. yeah yeah exactly exactly uh all right let's talk about our star trek connections so this movie had a lot actually surprisingly i Ooh. uh captured just three of them um and we've the, got them in the studio right now. Say hi. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've literally captured them. They're they're what you might say being held hostage. Oh, yay, 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 Up first is Tina Lifford. She played the um, deputy sheriff in this. So she's the woman who uh, oh, takes right. the hostage situation away from Bruce Willis at first because she's like. I'm in charge. I'll take this. And he's like, okay, bye. Not, not because, back. not because she's like boss girl vibes, but because literally that is how that works. It got escalated to the County level. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and Bruce Willis was like, I don't want anything to do with this. So I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, and then he comes back and he's like, never mind. And he tries to punch her and she's like, get out of here. Um, <laughs> so fucking yeah. stupid. <laughs> again, again, very strange in Star Trek. She was in two episodes of deep space nine past mm. tense part one and two she played a character oh. named lee which i think you're more of a deep space nine man than i but i believe uh-huh. those two episodes are the uh where they go to like 2024 and there's the riots yeah in, um the bell riots yep she's one of the um uh, human the earth people from that era huh um we also have michelle horn she played jennifer smith the uh, oldest daughter of the hostages um, in Star Trek, also Deuce Space Nine. She was in an episode called Penumbra. She played a character named Sagi, Seiji, um, which uh, was some Bajoran girl living on Deuce Space Nine in that episode. Okay. I was um, like, she must have been and- very tiny because <laughs> uh, that would have been like 10 years or so. Well, I guess maybe it could have been like five years before. Yeah, she would have been. Let's see. I'll do the math real quick. Wow. Apparently memory alpha doesn't show. Oh, she, yeah, she would have been 11 when that episode pre- oh, okay. premiered. Um, Memory alpha really hides dates when it wants to. And finally, <laughs> It's like it gives you the star date and you have to calculate. Based I know on that. it's that's what it's like. The first three numbers are the star dates. And I'm like, this what? No. Um, uh, Marjane Holden, I think that's how her name is pronounced in Hostage. She plays police officer Carol Flores, which is the police officer who shot at the gate at the uh, kind of beginning of the hostage situation at. Um, at the house. And in Star Trek, also D Space Nine, we're really wow. doing the D Space Nines here. Um, she was one of the, uh, and there's a fifth season episode called Empok Noor. Um, oh, yeah. Great she played episode. one of the like red shirts, essentially, who gets killed there. Yep. Um, their character was named Crewman Stolzoff. Oh, <laughs> R.I.P. Stolzoff. Yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch more. Um, both in the acting and then like below the line line numbers, but or uh, credits. But I was like, wow, this is a well-rounded episode of uh, Star Trek Connections. Wow. 
are there any more DS9 ones that we're missing on there? I, I only dug into those first three people, but I was like, oh, wow, a lot of DS9 here. <laughs> um, That's funny. Oh, unrelated. I saw a headline. Uh, apparently, uh, there's a rumor, founded or unfounded, that Cisco is coming back to the Star Trek universe as a what? god. What? I just saw this headline or something. I just saw this headline this morning and I was like, really? Um, I didn't read the article, uh, but I was curious if you knew anything about it. I, I do not know anything about that. I'm not watching lower decks actively right now, unfortunately. So I I'm, haven't, I haven't watched the newest season yet. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm out of the loop. <laughs> yep. Okay. So next up on this episode, we're going to rank this movie among the 39 other films we've done yeah 39 this is our 40th bruce willis film yep where would hostage fall in your numbers so hostage is not amazing but compared to the last few movies that we watched which were uh, rugrats go wild the whole 10 yards um tears of the sun and what a, what other one of the whole nine yards? Well, no, 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 no. There's one other kind of stinkery doo doo one. Hearts War, <laughs> Hearts War. Compared to those other movies, what a breath of fresh air. Still not the ma- most amazing movie though. So I'm gonna put it at number thirteen, after The Fifth Element and before The Siege. Nice. I agree on your thinking. Uh, I um, am going to put it actually at number 14, which is right ahead of The Last Boy Scout and right behind Nobody's Fool. Mm. Um, It is interesting and really like maybe at the end of season two here, uh, I'll like kind of rethink my list a little bit. But it uh, for a movie that I find like, okay, it's wild to then be like, oh, wow, it's in the like top, almost top fourth, uh, top third of our list here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what we've discovered is that Bruce Willis made some stinkers. <laughs> <laughs> Waited on the stinker side. Um, well, Josh. Well, Kendrick. I'll see you next you... week. Okay. All right. This, this is not normally how we end a podcast, but... <laughs> Everyone Tradition demands it. Like, what Tra- the scream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We know that's why you tune in, listener. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's your favorite part of the episode. Right, Kendrick? Uh, yeah. It's my favorite part of the episode. It's oh, the only same. reason why I talk this long is to get to this part of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we have to talk for X amount of hours before we get to do the best thing, which is um, spinning the wheel of Willis. And we say the same thing every time we do it, which is with that wheel. All right. Okay. So this question is the, (laughs) Oh God. So the antagonist of the movie is now the protagonist. How would you justify their actions? And oh, that was geez. submitted by Nathan. <laughs> oh, Nathan, we're getting a twofer from Nathan. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so 
assuming, I guess you can tell me, the protagonist is our uh, psychopath uh, hostage taker man, not like um, masked. Yes. Yeah. Mafia dude. Yeah. Um, I guess you could. Ju- so I mean, I guess if if we're changing the story. You could justify his actions completely by just showing how his family had been ruined by the Kevin Pollock cooking the books and then uh, remove oh, the yeah. psycho psychopath actions or even leave him psychopathic and villainous, but then also struggling. Uh, yeah, like at least have a reason other than hating women or whatever we're supposed to be led to believe there mm-hmm. um, about why he followed them. But yeah, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think tying it into the the big bads is probably the right choice. And I think, again, goes to show that even if he wasn't the protagonist, that would have been the right choice for the movie in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that I think that would probably be a, a good thing. And I think that it would you'd really have to play up the accidental nature of him killing people. Um, or the 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 mental illness that he's going through, which obviously mental illness makes people bad. Um, not the best sort of mm. storytelling, you know, storytelling style. But the um, you'd have to you'd have to do some tweaks to the story. Like I would probably have his gun go off accidentally, and it's like, well, fuck. Now we're in this situation. What are mm-hmm. we gonna do? Sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, it would be a lot easier if I could make one of the brothers the protagonist. Um, because I think that either of them have a more more of a um, human connection. When you have a psychopath as your antagonist, it's like, man, it's really hard to make that work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is. We didn't even really talk about the brothers. So the the three guys holding people hostage. We have the one psychopath that we've already kind of talked about, who's who... kind of a side character at the beginning. Like you mm-hmm. don't know that he's going to be the big bad towards the end of the movie. And. The other two are brothers, and they're kind of sort of drug along into this half willingly, half uh, unwillingly. And we see a lot of them, uh, a lot of screen time with them, both with each other. And then they're like talking to Bruce Willis and doing some hostage negotiation. And then they both die. Mm -hmm. And I think in another movie, um, they would have just been like more faceless bad guys to die. And or their deaths would have been more meaningful, I think. But I didn't really feel anything for them. Uh, I don't know if I was supposed to, but anyway, I kind of felt something that... for the the guy who got pushed, but not for the other guy. I was like, yeah, yeah well, like, him especially sure. because he he was the most unwilling of the hostage takers. Yeah, but still, he had a couple chances to have his to get his out. Yeah, but you yeah. think he could have actually gotten out without getting shot at by the other guy? Uh, when Bruce Willis is there and he's like, come on, we got to go. Oh, yeah, that's true. He could have uh, just been like, fuck this. I'm leaving. Yeah. Screw you guys. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I'm leaving your brother. That's probably hard to do. Uh, Okay. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Where There's a Willis, There's a Way. If you want to send us an email, correct Josh's screwball comedy thoughts. <laughs> um. Send us suggestions for our Wheel of Willis. You can email them at williswaypod at gmail.com or find us on social media. 
Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok, uh, Willis Way Pod. You can find me on the internet at K Martinix. That's K M A R T I N I X. Josh, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Joshing Carter. Every episode, we like to end the podcast with a little tasty sweet treat to close out the show. Uh, this is something we just like <laughs> a to tasty sweet people. treat. Yeah, You're like combining treat. both of the things that we've called it throughout the mm-hmm. ages. <laughs> yep. Yep. I know. Uh, you know, it can be both sweet and tasty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Josh, what, what is your tasty treat for this episode? Yeah. Um, I hate to recommend a video game like twice in a row, but I think I recommended a video game a bit ago. And (laughs) since this guy also worked on the Splinter Cell games, I'm going to recommend you play Splinter Cell. The first one, it is definitely dated, but really it's a super tightly made game and you can find it on pretty much any of the the game stores steam or i'm sure other stuff as well um i played it on xbox loved it it's basically the same game on pc but you have a quick save so whatever console you want to play it on great game great game this uh movie um definitely has some splinter cell vibes um but also splinter cell is has a lot of uh diehard probably in its dna oh uh, yeah i know it's like based on tom clancy's stuff and i don't know if it's based on an actual book or they just base it off of like the time general clancy ip oeuvre. yeah <laughs> yeah uh that's great i've never played an entire splinter cell game i i played i had the demo for the og splinter cell when i was a young lad oh that was yeah. all i ever had but uh, yeah. i played the demo and i thought it was fun it's really uh, cool and they use shadows in an interesting way it's a mm-hmm. stealth based game so yeah, yeah i love self-based games i am gonna re- take a hard swerve from everything we've talked about on this episode and recommend the new taylor swift album midnights <laughs> what are you it's, talking about we've been setting that up this whole time yeah <laughs> i mentioned burn cd at the beginning so <laughs> mm-hmm. yep which is definitely something that everyone still does um <laughs> you know I don't think there's much more I can say other than that it's a great album. Listen to it. Actually, it's a wild time for new releases. The same day that album came out, there was a new Carly Rae album and a new Arctic Monkeys album that yeah. all came out at the same time. So yeah. um, if you like music, go turn some on. It's a good suggestion, just in general. All right. Okay. Kendrick, what are we covering next time? Next time, we're covering Sin City. Which I think has kind of been like a a um, landmark for this podcast series as a whole, but also this you know decade of movies for quite some time, and I'm glad we're finally getting there. Yeah, same. Um, so it's great to uh, look forward to that movie. So now next time we're going to be covering Sin City. Sounds good. Excited to talk about that one. Yeah, same. All right. Well, thank you all for listening and have a beautiful, wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye. And it's-